everybody and welcome to the Bold Beautiful Borderline podcast. My name is Lori and as always I am here with the amazing Sarah who looks very sleepy this morning <laughs> and uh, today we have a very special guest that I'm super stoked about. Uh, BPD Brian from the UK who is on Instagram and TikTok. I follow his stuff. I have been following his stuff for like a long time now. His reels and TikToks are hilarious so I would highly recommend checking him out um, and yeah Brian welcome to the podcast. We're super super excited to see you. Thank you for having me. I hope what I talk about helps somebody. I just usually ramble and then, yeah. That, that's how that's we do. <laughs> It'll be awesome. Also, can I just say how excited I am to just listen to your accent? See, I've always found that this is a thing where, like, you yourself never feel like you have an accent because you're so used to it. And then people are like, oh, my God, you have such a good accent. I'm like, I don't have one. But thank you. That's... Yeah, I think to Americans is like it's literally so romantic. And I had a roommate from Devon. Romantic. Yeah, because it's yours. I don't know. Oh, oh, oh. Yeah. the Gross. cutest four play as fuck. <laughs> I'm, I should not be like distracting him. He's doing Japanese, so. <laughs> Oh my god, I'm a, I'm excited for the commentary. Okay, well, Brian, do you want to just tell us a little bit about your life and like your BPD diagnosis and just like kind of you know start start to finish? Tell us tell us you. Uh, well, my life's a mess, so <laughs> you know there's that. Uh, <laughs> no, um, I got diagnosed with BPD. Well, so I've had a long history of like mental health issues and stuff, but in the UK services are different you kind of and especially with the nhs where it's like free you end up getting like put on like waiting lists and sometimes it could take ages but also i feel like british people have this kind of like stiff upper lip attitude where it's like oh just get over it or whatever and so i think a lot of the time before getting diagnosed it was like oh you're just depressed you're just anxious or whatever but i always felt like it was something more so i decided to kind of just like look at YouTube videos and like websites and stuff. Um, and I was like going through stuff. Like I did think maybe bipolar, but my episodes weren't long enough. It was more up and down throughout the day. And that's where I came across BPD. I was like literally going through every trait and be like, yeah, yeah. And then you're like, ah, uh, oh, <laughs> hang on a minute. Luckily, I, I, I say luckily, luckily I already had a mental health assessment booked. Um, so then I, mentioned bpd and it was a whole weird thing where there was like yeah you have bpd but then after the assessment there was like no it's bpd traits or whatever and i was like quite confused um but they said that they didn't want to diagnose with me diagnose me with it because of labels and things like that and i found that i think speaking to other people that have bpd like they've experienced the same thing where they for some reason when it's bpd like oh we don't want to label people it's so and, common like if this your story is just like resonating with every single person across the world that's listening to this right now because like the the frustrating thing I find is like to me the diagnosis was the most helpful but they had been skirting around it for years right mm-hmm. yeah and also I think like that's the thing it's Sorry. so <laughs> obvious like like you said like or he's like how are you doing you're like well my life's a fucking mess like yeah it's obvious, right? Like when you have borderline, the shit is obvious. So just like give us the label. 
because I think with these sort of things you end up working backwards and kind of look back throughout your life like oh okay that makes sense with some traits and I think before the diagnosis I think because I was told oh it was only depression it was only anxiety the other aspects of it weren't being looked at so my world was more more of a mess because I didn't know what was going on and I think I don't know whether that's where sort of like the stigma comes from because I think like obviously when you don't know what's going on you have no you you just think oh it's normal to you know text somebody 10 times in a row it's normal to do this or whatever and especially as a man you know I was always told I was I was too sensitive or like I take things to heart too much and the like golden phrase I think is for people with BPD is when people say oh well you were fine five minutes ago I'm like yeah that was five minutes ago (laughs) yeah a lot can change in five minutes yeah um and so I think it was one of those things where obviously I sort of sought out the diagnosis I still thought of sort of realized that's what I had but then when I got the diagnosis I felt like everything became the BPD more so I started thinking like every thought I had was like is this a BPD thought or every behavior I did was like is this a BPD thing like and was that helpful for you or harmful I'd probably say it was like more harmful I think um just because I still I wasn't well at that point anyway and so I think it was easier for me to kind of pin everything on BPD and not taking that responsibility, I think. Right. Uh, and I, yeah. And I think that's pretty common when people first get diagnosed, right? Like, Oh, well, like it's not me then. And then like, once you kind of get more into it and you're like, Oh, wait a minute. No, this is me. <laughs> like when, how long ago was it that you got diagnosed? So the process started in 2018, but I got the actual diagnosis in 2019 okay so about three two three years so yeah so you've had a good amount of time to like process that now and do you find you still are like using it too much in your head to like tie everything to the diagnosis sometimes I think so like 2019 like towards the end like so I realized like looking back that I had quite an abusive and traumatic childhood with a toxic family system and stuff like that. And I think, as you know, with like attachment styles, you then go to those sorts of people in adult life as well. And I felt like, so the thing is, I think society's like, oh, well, if you're constantly attracting toxic people, you're the problem. Like, well, they, they can still be part of the problem as well. I, I hate saying it takes two because, you know, like some people are just abusive assholes. Like, um, mm-hmm. but so I was always with really dismissive people. Then about two years ago, I got into a relationship with somebody and that ended up being very emotionally abusive, telling me that I'm inappropriate to ask for support at a funeral instead of him going shopping and telling me that he loved, lo- he lost love and respect for me because I tried ending my life and things like that. And so that left me in quite a bad place um, where, you know, I was just like crying all the time, wouldn't really get out of bed or just found it really hard to get through the day. And then... During that time, I reached out to like a group on Facebook for men with mental health issues. And there was an admin there and he sent some like inappropriate messages, which I was a bit like, oh, okay. But then I just kind of like shrugged it off. But then we started seeing each other like online 
um, because he lived in Wales. But there'd be this weird thing where he said my middle name without me telling him what it was. And like he used Ancestry to look me up and things like that. Um, Red flag, red flag, red flag. Yeah, I mean, at that time I was like, Mm, it's a bit weird but it's fine because I was I really wasn't well but yeah just all sorts of weird things going on and then when we actually met in person like he bought some champagne at that point I wasn't drinking because I wasn't well and he kept pushing was like why won't you have some go and have some I was like no I'm fine um but weirdly he stepped down as admin from that group and then the next day the group said that admins aren't to get involved with members and he was like, well, I'm not being told what to do. And so lots of things escalated, um, found out he was lying about stuff, um, which resulted in me having a breakdown. I went to hospi- hospital. He said that he made the whole relationship up, never wanted it, and then got back with his ex. And he was just going along with everything. And so I think, because I, I hate when people say, you know, oh, things happen for a reason. But like when that did happen, I kind of like, like a switch went in me to be like, no, you know what? I'm not dealing with this sort of stuff anymore. Um, but then I think it was about like three weeks after I came out of hospital, we went into lockdown because <laughs> of the p- pandemic. So I was like, great. Um, and you guys did lockdown hard too. Like I have a lot of friends in England and like mm. they were, yeah, like one hour of exercise a day or whatever. And Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, it's a weird thing, like, I, f- I felt like I'd done better because I had that structure. Um, but at that point, I was living, I was still living with my mum, so I had some sort of company there. But it was during that time I joined TikTok, because I think everybody was, was like, oh, something to do. And so I'd already done, like, mental health advocacy, like, on Twitter and things like that. Uh, so I thought, oh, I'll try TikTok, so I prefer talking. I'm not good with writing at all. Um, and it's also a great way to kind of be creative myself. And I found like that helped with confidence and stuff. Um, but I found that like going into sexuality as well, you know, I think um, I think that actually has an impact on maybe LGBTQ people, maybe developing BPD because, you know, lack of sense of self or, like, you know, people telling you what you should be or shouldn't be and, um you know again like oh well you're a man why are you or or they put me being sensitive down to being gay I'm like no I'm just a quote-unquote sensitive person um now the attachment related issues with family right of like the fear of coming out to parents and then that fucking was secure attachment if it ever was present which probably wasn't yeah and I think as well like when I came out some family members took it upon themselves to tell other people and like making it about them. Like, oh my God, it's so hard. I'm like, it's none of your business. <laughs> I came out like two hours ago and you're already telling your boyfriend, <laughs> why do you need to do that? And I think as well, I had kind of, again, like a toxic family system where my mum was one of 13. So I've got loads of cousins, loads of aunties, uncles, like people everywhere. But I don't really talk to any of them. It's always been one of those things where they don't ever really talk to me, but they'll talk about me or leave me out of things or feel the need to tell me what to do with my life. I resonate I with that so much. I always describe, it's a little bit better now, but I used to always describe hanging out with my family, like my extended family, especially as like being treated like a ticking time bomb. 
where like mm-hmm. everybody would be whispering about me behind my back and like would be like distancing themselves from me but judging me as though I was going to explode at any moment and I was like no I'm good like we're just at dinner it's fine yeah and I think I think I was always even as a child I was always quite again quote-unquote sensitive so I was kind of quite open with my emotions and I don't think my family really found that comfortable so like oh no no you're fine I'll get over it and um or call me lazy or whatever like anything they want instead of actually taking it on um but I found kind of I think especially being gay is quite hard because obviously I can only speak from my experiences of the gay community, but there is an overall emphasis on sex, especially with gay men, like perfect physiques, you know, like it's still all very quite, it's it's just quite, I don't know what the word is, superficial. Um, And also I think it's great that that people are being more accepting of like progressive lifestyles um like open relationships and polyamorous relationships whereas me and my partner we're we're monogamous which is which is also fine and I found that like some people seem to think that progressive means that the other stuff isn't okay anymore and that their thing's better rather than it all being equal and so um me and my partner's had quite a few issues with seeming it weirdly it only seems to be gay men like like not respecting our boundaries of our relationship, um, which I think is quite telling in the sense of clearly must be an ulterior motive. Like um, one of Ben's online friends was like, oh, hey, gorgeous, how are you? And Ben was like, can you just not say that I'm in a relationship, please? I'm still happy to continue the friendship. And this person's like, well, no, I won't talk to you then. And it's kind of like... Yeah, that's uh, showing your cards pretty quickly. (laughs) (laughs) I feel... Oh, go ahead. Um, I think it's there's quite a lot of gaslighting in the gay community. I find as well, whereas and this very kind of collectivist community was like, there's this one way to be in this community, and that's it. Despite being like, oh, everybody's free to be themselves, but here's a long list, here's a list of things you need to be in this community. Yeah, I was just going to say that I feel like it's one of the things that is not talked about very often outside of the community, like how toxic it is in the community. (laughs) Um, And like, talk about the ultimate identity crisis. I'm dating a man for the first time ever in my adult life, ever, ever, ever. Mm -hmm. Seen plenty of dicks, had a lot of fun, (laughs) but like actually dating, right? I'm Mm -hmm. like, I have no idea what I'm doing. And I feel this strange sense of like guilt for analyzing a lot of the toxicity that I've seen in the queer community Mm -hmm. because like, those are my people. So I feel like I can't, I feel like I can't analyze Uh it. I don't know if you've, it sounds like you, you're feeling some of that struggle too. Yeah. I mean, I think again just reflecting kind of what I've been like I think I've always seen these toxic behaviors in people but I think because I find like within like the queer community is that like oh we must all stick together let's all get along I'm like no you're a trash person (laughs) like and even like some stuff that's not okay for straight people to do 
like or or like calling people out for sending inappropriate messages and stuff if you call out like if you called out a gay person for doing that like oh maybe he didn't mean it like that oh give him a chance oh well you're trying to ruin his life for calling that shit out i'm like well i don't care if you're gay straight whatever like you're being harassing like that needs to stop um and i think it's a conversation both me and my partner have had has had as well where I think, unfortunately, I know for me, especially with my lack of sense of self, like, you see all this stuff and you think, well, that's predominantly what's going on, so maybe that's okay. So then you start to engage in it. So you're like, oh, maybe I just need to sleep around or whatever. And so then you start doing that. But then it's like talking to my partner, like, when I've spoken to him about stuff that I've seen or, you know, what's not right, like, he's realised that, oh, shit, like, I've been around people like that or whatever because again because that's predominantly what you see you think oh it's okay um and i think unfortunately with i think communities like that when you do go against the grain you get loads of people just like firing hate at you and accusing you of being internally homophobic or whatever words they kind of want to throw at you instead of letting you just be yourself yeah the interesting thing for me i think is it speaks directly to what Lori was maybe hinting at. I think like people have so many preconceived ideas and beliefs, like her family Mm -hmm. thought she was going to blow up at dinner. It's like, no, we're eating salad and breadsticks or whatever, you know? But I think on the opposite end of that, maybe people are kind of afraid to hold individuals who have marginalized identities accountable for their shitty behavior. It's like, I'm sorry you're afraid to tell me I'm being shitty because you think I'm going to blow up at you because I have borderline, but like, I need you to tell me I'm being shitty. (laughs) I just need (laughs) you to tell me it in a way that I can receive it. And I think we have to do the same in the queer community of being like, yo, you're being kind of shitty and toxic. Yeah. And I think it's like, I think unfortunately realizing that there are certain types of people that will just carry on doing it. So it's kind of like, trying to find the balance of like is it worth calling this person out because they're not going to change versus oh maybe I do need to call them out because they just don't realize and I think um you know just looking at kind of patterns I think for me like it's making sure I don't bond with people over gossip or negative stuff because then that ends up being like what the whole relationship or friendship is going to be like, you know, you're constantly talking about other people. And I think, you know, I've seen things within the queer community where again, especially amongst like gay men where they will share naked pictures of people without consent, or they will take pictures of somebody they're sleeping with, like next to them while they're asleep and been saying that, like, you know, sharing that and things like that. And I think, you know, it's it's things like that where you kind of start to say, this, is, this isn't right, but they're all acting like 12-year-old boys when they're people in their 30s. And I think, to be honest, I think it's disgusting, like, that people think they can act like that, you know, especially when, so like, like they, they will call out, like, oh, my God, this person, this celebrity's nudes leaked, like, that's disgusting. But then if it was a male celebrity, like, oh my God, let's send it around sort of thing. Literally. Yeah. hundred percent. Like I have seen far too many pictures that of like male celebrities where I intentionally don't 
look at female ones because I don't want them to be like victimized or whatever. Right. Mm-hmm. I like, I'm guilty of all these things really. I mean, like hopefully not to the extent that like we need to cut me out or cancel me, but like, I definitely connect with people over gossip more than I should. And I mean, it's, it's hard because I think like it's those superficial things that are mm-hmm. like easier for us to bond over because they're less emotional for us. Mm-hmm. You know what yeah, I mean? I think like, I'm not trying to like villainize anyone that does gossip. I think like, you know, we're all guilty of it time to time. Totally. I think, you know, I was actually having a discussion the other day about, about cancel culture and like how it was just like, like to an extent, I understand why it happens. But to be like, oh, you've done this shitty thing when you were seven years old, <laughs> like, you're a kid. And I think, you know, I feel like society these days is having this weird stance of, we want you to change, but even if you do, we're still going to hold this thing over your head. Oh, and Yeah, I think... Th- I also said to my partner the other day, I was like, despite having BPD, like, I see more black and white thinking on Twitter. <laughs> like... You know, oh my god, totally. That's such like, a good even, point. Like with the pandemic, for example, like there are some people where medically they may not be able to wear masks, or you know that they are exempt because that's kind of how it works over here. But you you still get people who are they'll be like, well, I have anxiety and I still wear a mask, or I have this and I still do this. I'm like, great, that's you. You're a different person. And I think going back to actually talking about BPD, I think. Part of the stigma again, people like, well, I know this one person with BPD. I'm like, great, there's nine traits and you at least five. So that's at least 256 combinations of these different traits, and they're gonna all come out differently depending on people's experiences. Yeah. Um, and then also in addition to the 256 like combinations, we're also all unique individuals. So like even if you, Sarah, and I had the exact five same criteria, mm-hmm. like well, I live in Canada. She lives in the States. You live in England. Like, yeah, we're not like BPD robots walking around. (laughs) And like, you know, I have different comorbid conditions than you two have Mm. and like different life experiences. I mean, all of these things, right. It's, um, I actually, you know, that like thing that's going online right now, the like red flag thing that like, is like the big thing. I almost put one up and I never did. So somebody can steal it from me if they want, but like, um, like, Oh, my ex had, I'm pretty sure my ex had BPD. Like, cause it's just blaming everything on that person. And like, mm-hmm. I find, I hear that all the time. Like, oh yeah, my crazy ex had BPD. I'm pretty sure. Like, well, did you ever talk to them about that? Or like, maybe was it your behaviors that were causing them to react in a way that was like that? Hmm. Well, that's it. I, I think, um, like I said, I was listening to some of the podcasts today and like where it was mentioned about just certain people can be really really triggering for you and I think like looking back on my life I've realized there's certain family members or friends that are very triggering and stuff and I think but then you still beat yourself up because then you think oh well maybe I'm just a bad person in front of these people <laughs> rather than like people can actually have that effect on you um especially if they constantly know how to push your buttons and constantly invalidating you gaslighting you whatever and then you snap and they're like, oh, you're the problem. And I'm like, no. And I think always, I, I think it's like a red flag as well when people are, oh, take me as I am. I don't need to work on myself. I'm like, mm, that's the sign you do. Um, yeah. Or they're like, I could be my own therapist. My best friend's my therapist or whatever. It's like, no, no. 
I do have to say though, like, because my mom was one of seven, so I can only imagine you having a parent who was one of 13, right? Like yeah. the, the complexity of the family system at that point is so profound because like, you think like my mom was one of seven, three of those seven have died by suicide, mm-hmm. which I think is a, maybe a little high statistic, but still statistically, like not that abnormal, right? When you think about one mm-hmm. in 13, like probably two of you have BPD and like, you know, three or four of them have a substance use disorder and right. Like there's just a lot of people. And so there's like a lot of opportunity for shit to be hard. And like, as a Mm -hmm. super feeler, you're feeling all of the dynamics between this large number of people in your family. Of course, that's dysregulating. Yeah. I think especially where there's been some situations where two other family members aren't getting on and then one of them's pissed off that I'm talking to the other I'm like leave me out of this like it's got nothing to do with me um but I think like I said like I don't really talk to many of the families so it's hard for me to really know what's going on with especially again like if my mum was one of 13 like that that's loads of people to talk to anyway um but I think what I found hard is because obviously doing mental health advocacy online and things like that, I found, especially in the beginning of doing it, I, found, I then found it really hard to say no to people. So then I feel like, oh, well, I'm being a hypocrite by saying, oh, help people. And then I'm not helping everybody that needs help or everybody that reaches out to me when actually I don't, I just don't have that capacity, you know, not a trained therapist or anything, you know, I'm just sharing my experiences. Um, but I think it's harder when it is when you realize, okay, I need to step away from family or certain closer friends. Like it's hard because you think, oh well, they were there for me at some point. And I think that's kind of what keeps you in those things. Cause you think, oh well, they were nice at some point, and then you feel like you're indebted to them in a sense. And sometimes they can play on that and even say that to you as well. And you know, I think it's hard to have boundaries with people I think I've always gone from I think I've always ended up just cutting people out instead or just not talking to them for ages um or I'll put a boundary I'll put a boundary in place in my head (laughs) totally (laughs) well and I find like I at least for me and I think I've heard this from others like I'm very Mm -hmm. predisposed to feel very guilty so Mm -hmm. like cutting people out who have like you were saying been there with you in the past that is like super a guilty feeling for me and I've had to try and like get over that pretty easily and then same with like the connecting with people online right like Sarah and I and you I'm sure get so many messages from people and like I would love to be able to support every single one of those people but like Mm -hmm. I have a full-time job I'm doing my master's and I have my own life and I don't have the emotional capacity to take all that on so that's Mm -hmm one of the reasons why like I actually intentionally am really bad at answering my messages because I know that if I wait like a week between answering messages it the the crisis will have dissipated you know and it's it's the skill for me and I know Sarah's been uh having to learn that skill more and more and more well it's this is also something I'm working with my therapy clients with it's like I don't want to breed dependence with folks like not Mm. helpful. And I think I am a person because I want the validation of knowing that like, I'm able to support people and that makes them feel good. And I receive that like serotonin and oxytocin, 
that can easily get sucked into accidentally breeding dependence with people that are in my DMs all the time because I'm like giving them the support and validation that they need and then they don't learn to self-validate. Yeah, and I think it's also hard when you maybe see it and think, oh, I'll reply to that in a minute or like you just think, okay, I don't have the emotional capacity and then they just like lay into you like, well, you're supposed to be helping. Like, I'm like, I, you're, I'm not enti- you're not entitled to my time. And yeah. I think, are you are you paying me for this? Because if you're not paying me for this, then I'm not your therapist. I'll just send my PayPal next time. Literally, <laughs> dude, uh, do it. Be like, hit the Venmo. <laughs> and I think again, I think it's hard because going back to the queer community a second, um, I noticed it especially on Twitter. Like, people be like, oh, this person done one horrible thing. Why are you all still following them? Why are you still talking to them? Or, you know, that oh, they're a hypocrite for saying this, and, but not doing this. And it seems to be just like a dog pile rather than just being like, oh, they can't help or anything. And with BPD for me, it is that thing where, like, 10 people could say, something nine of them says something positive one of them says something negative i'm just like right i'm a shitty person i'm gonna pack my bags and move away or just cut everybody out and or or like sometimes like i've had it where i've read a text completely wrong like i read a word wrong and i'm like oh it said that they didn't want to see me or something and it'll say oh i can't see you at this time and i'm like oh shit (laughs) and then i'm like oh cried too much yeah it's it's spiraled like so hard for you so I have a question. So you're in a relationship now. Um, yeah. And how long have you been in that relationship? Five months today. <laughs> okay. Congre- Happy anniversary. Thank um, you. <laughs> so obviously like your partner knows you have BPD. Um, and mm-hmm. I, I think he's listening, which is even more exciting. Um, <laughs> so how has that been for you? Like you're in a monogamous relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you seem to be like totally happy with that. Um like way of doing it which is great um in terms of like did he know you had bpd before you got into this relationship or what yeah so we followed each other on twitter like eight years ago um then a mutual friend set up like a zoom thing during lockdown and so like we kind of started talking like as a group over over that um but weirdly we were the only two people that didn't message each other privately because <laughs> We both were sort of like, oh, we'd be into each other, but we didn't think the other person would be interested. And then the friend had a Eurovision party. That is the best kind of party. (laughs) A what Typical gay thing. Uh, Yeah, I go to those Eurovision parties. Okay, Lori, you're not even queer. I'm I'm not. I know about this and I don't. (laughs) Because I have been in choir since I was four. So I have a lot of like peripheral gay friends that I have come to a lot of Eurovision parties with what is Eurovision go ahead Brian you're from Europe I guess how would you describe Eurovision it's a song contest an international song contest of lots of countries in Europe plus Australia for some reason just yeah really camp happens every year it's great fun I mean weirdly I was never into Eurovision but because like I was having a bit of a rough time so so, like the friends like oh would you like to come up like sure (laughs) uh but then yeah so we kind of met there kind of it was kind of a cute little thing like me and Ben were sat on like the same sofa like 
either end and slowly Ben just kept moving closer <laughs> just like and then all of a sudden like my arm was around him it was kind of cute uh, yeah and then we started talking because we live about two and a half hours away from each other so like the next week was talking like on FaceTime and stuff and then we met the next week like down at mine um but basically I moved out earlier this year for the first time then about a month in something traumatic happened there so that kind of ruined the, the situation for me a bit um and my last relationship was with an emotionally abusive person and so a lot had been happening um and we i think you know what it's like with bpd when you get into a relationship you're like oh i just want to be with them all the time and we ended up doing that um so we were together all the time very quickly which we didn't really we don't ever hold that against each other because we were both wanting to um but because as well like with lockdowns and stuff wasn't used to being with somebody new that often and so you know I was being triggered because of things and you know small things um also we weren't we were then being like oh we're not having time to do our own thing um and then I found out something was like that Ben had said about me before really knowing me which wasn't a nice thing um but I'm now able to separate it like between him like before him knowing me and knowing me now so this um, isn't us like calling out Ben while he's listening <laughs> <'Cause>... <laughs> he's fine just um, kidding Ben you sound great that's the thing like we've always been like very open about talking about relationship problems I think like I hate highlight reels, but oh, everything's amazing. And, um, but yeah, so, but basically I found that out because like, he also like said somebody before we actually got to get, like said we were in a relationship that, oh yeah, I'm going on a date, but I don't really know if it's going anywhere when I was told differently. And like that just kind of reminded me of something from my previous relationship. But because that was already a bad week, I had a massive like, mental breakdown on the tube that week and everything was just happening and then all of a sudden like I kind of went into like rage mode which I've rarely experienced and you know I was like screaming yelling running around everywhere I ran outside came back in um and that was really tough I think um it was a good maybe two three weeks where like constantly crying every day and feeling like really guilty about it um just because I think like all that trauma that was built up over the past few months and stuff, it all just kind of came out and unfortunately on Ben in a way. Um, and it was really tough to get through that. I think Ben still being here is just a testament to kind of how good our relationship is because, you know, we're, we're constantly working on boundaries and kind of how to really adapt to each other because I'm also waiting for an autism autism assessment as well. But it's so hard unlearning those toxic behaviours or thoughts or whatever. Or even sometimes I say to ones like, I'll be like, I feel like, especially when I've had like crisis moments, like I would be pissed that he's not helping me <laughs> um, when I shouldn't be, where I'm like, there's only so much he can do. Um, especially if it is while we're apart. Um, so obviously it's like two and a half hours away. But, you know, I think what really helps is that we both have a growth mindset. Ben's in therapy. He's doing his own work on himself. And so 
I think that had actually been, I think also very early on, we had those uncomfortable conversations like, do you want marriage? Do you want this kind of relationship? Do you want to live here? Do you want to live in this sort of place? Like, I think it's important to have those conversations early on. So then like three years I'm like, yeah, I don't want that. <laughs> like, Totally. I see so many people just like jump into relationships and then be like, okay, we're getting married. And then one of them wants kids and one of them doesn't, or like one <clears> of them is super Catholic and one of them is an atheist. And you're like, how did you not talk about that before you got <laughs> married? Like, oh my God, it's crazy. <laughs> But yeah, anyway, so actually talking about him knowing about BPD. So yeah, he followed me on Twitter. And obviously I, I speak, speak spoke about BPD and stuff on there. So he kind of knew bits. Um, and so, but so I think even like myself living with BPD, like I'm still learning about it. But I think like he got a book on BPD to read. And um, what book I mean, did I remember he get? What, Sorry? Which book did he get? The big book on borderline personality disorder. Cool. Okay. Not one of the um, like shitty old school ones that they're like, read um what what is it, Lori? Um it's wa- walking on eggshells, I think is one yeah, of walking. And, it, and it's like, oh, how to like avoid getting abused by somebody with borderline. Mm-hmm. And you're like, okay, well, let's not what this book's supposed to be about. I mean, this book's um, by somebody that has BPD, so I think like it's a lot better. I think about two, three months into the relationship, Ben realised he had he has his own abandonment issues and how that presents during an argument where it's like, oh, I can't do this anymore. And we kind of realised like one will push, one will pull, and it's trying to kind of grasp that. I think we're a lot better at kind of catching it before it explodes now. Um, and I think especially as a man, though, I think there's more stigma around if a man explodes than a woman. That's only my perception anyway. Um, that like Automatically, if a man has strong emotions, he's toxic, he's abusive or whatever. And especially uh, in England, because like the stiff upper lip thing that you were talking about, I mean, again, mm-hmm. like I have a lot of really close friends that are from England and it's like wild to me how little emotion you guys show. It's just like... Mm-hmm completely like emotion is not a thing that we do here (laughs) it's like how I perceive it yeah I mean we had a conversation about that earlier I remember what it was about but you were saying it's mostly straight men probably (laughs) um but I think like Ben's been great at kind of trying to understand BPD even when I don't understand it myself as well again yeah I think like I think it's part of British thing and part of BPD thing where I'm just constantly saying sorry for everything. Where like, even if it's not my fault, I'm like, I'm sorry. <laughs> Actually, that's a really good question. So Canadians say sorry all the time too. Sarah, do you find you say sorry all the time? Yes, but I'm the older daughter. And I think, I mean, I think it's less about like, I mean, I don't think Americans say sorry as much as no, Canadians do, but don't. I think like within my family unit, I was kind of trained to be like responsible for. Ah, uh, okay. Interesting. Yeah. I say sorry far too often. I think it's a nice combination of BPD and being Canadian. Same here in the UK, just constantly saying sorry. Like, oh, sorry. I shut the door. I don't know. Sorry. The TV turned off without me doing anything. I, I was heavily bullied as a child as well. I think when you're a child or a teen that is when your brain is developing and that is when you do start to develop a sense of self and so when you kind of are constantly being like bullied or 
somebody will be friends with you for five minutes and then ditch you when someone else comes along or anything like that. I think that really contributes to how people with BBD possibly see themselves and why they feel like maybe they don't fit in because like I was always like the friend that was like left out of things or they'll be like oh yeah cool let's hang out and then someone else will come along and they'll be like bye <laughs> um yeah I think it's because we're so intense right like I like I've mm. had that experience too they're like eh, it's probably just easier if if Laurie's not there yeah I think It's hard because I think sometimes, I don't know whether you experience this with BPD, but sometimes I feel like the emotions aren't intense. But to outside people, it is. Um, but it's hard to know whether it's like maybe they're just kind of deflecting or, or whatever versus me actually having an intense reaction to something. Um, and, you know, like crying over spilled milk. I've literally done that before. <laughs> like... But usually it's not that one thing. It's usually there's like a multiple things going on. And that's usually just kind of, but then saying that, like when I was in my flat, I was dancing around to really cheesy music. like really happy. Then all of a sudden I was on the floor crying out of nowhere. Then all of a sudden I'm like, oh, I'm hungry. <laughs> I'm going to make something to eat. And it's like, sometimes I'll even look back at like me crying. I'm like, what the fuck was that? <laughs> or like, who was that? And yeah. Because we don't, it's not like we control that, right? No. It's so speaking of which, do you have you done dialectical behavior therapy? Uh, so again, like over here in the UK, like it's a bit well, especially where I'm from anyway, um, it's a bit different. I think DPD is harder to come by as far as I'm aware, especially when it's free. So they do like the emotional coping skills part as part of like a group therapy sort of thing. And I had that years ago when I first started doing it. I think I was at that point of my recovery where I was going, but I wasn't putting stuff into practice at home. Where I'd be like, oh, yeah, cool. This sounds like something that will work. And then I just don't do anything. And then I'm like, why yeah. am I not getting better? Um, but then last year I was doing it, but it wasn't long after my breakdown. So that was a very traumatic time. So I wasn't really taking it in properly. Um, and so I'm kind of just starting to revisit them now. Like my favorite one at the moment is just like splashing my face with cold water. We um, love the tip skill. That's the thing. I don't even remember the names. I think like, um, cause my memories, my short term memory is so bad. <laughs> like I'll be in the, even in the middle of saying something, I'll forget what I'm saying. Yeah. Uh, I, I totally, totally get that. I think that is one of the things that, I try to explain to people is like, I know that it seems like it should be easy to remember where I put my keys or my debit card, but like, I have so much going on in my brain, like with trying to process emotions that little things like that, I just cannot, I cannot remember. Yeah. And like, like I've said to people like that maybe don't have mental health issues or anything that like, so much effort goes into normal everyday stuff that sometimes take can take the whole day out of you, like just to make dinner or to go Holy. for a walk or even to relax can be <laughs> exhausting. And because um, I don't work at the moment just because of timings with my breakdown and then lockdown and then moving out and then 
bad stuff happening. Um, so I'm hoping to be able to do some work from home stuff with maybe mental health advocacy on social media platforms and things. Or maybe do a book. Who knows? We'll see. Um, whether anybody would buy it is a different thing. Uh, you should start a podcast. I was actually saying that to Ben earlier. Like I thought about it. Um, possibly. It's just like I'm I'm not good with like starting things. <laughs> So it's like, oh, how do I start it? How do I do this? Like, then it's like coming up with the name and everything. And I'm like, you know what? I'm not going to bother. <laughs> um, but I think that, especially, I don't know what it's like where you guys are, but here in the UK, there's definitely a lot of stigma of not working or being on benefits and things like that, especially with mental health. They'll be like, oh, well, you look fine. Oh, well, you seem fine. And like, you don't see the whole day. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think that's a thing here for sure. I know that um, we had uh, something called CERB, which was like the Canadian Emergency Response Benefit or something like that. And um, so it was like a COVID specific like thing. Yeah. And uh, there was a lot of people that were just like, they're still angry about it. You know what I mean? Like the, the, the privileged people who didn't lose their jobs because they're not servers um, are still like mm-hmm. angry about it. And, and I remember the first month because it went on for, I think, six months. And Aaron and I were both working. And, and at first we were like, oh, I'm so jealous. And then like a month later, we were like, yeah, no, we're not jealous. Like I, I would much rather have something to do all day and like get my regular paychecks. You know what I mean? Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, I was kind of guilty of that at the, at the beginning as well. I am curious if there's anything mm-hmm. else that you want to kind of cover before we wrap up, um, because I do have a final question that somebody asked us. Is there any like things that we missed? I mean, again, my memory is bad. It's going to be one of those things that I'll come off about, oh, we should have talked about this. And plus, I feel like I've hardly mentioned BPD at all. No, you for <laughs> sure have. And you can always come back. You can always come back. Okay. If you're like, at the end, if you're just like, oh my God, I can't believe I didn't say that, then yeah, you can come back anytime. Hi, friends. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Bold, Beautiful, Borderline podcast. Lori and I are so grateful that you're here with us on this journey and We can't wait to dive into more topics in the future with you all about Borderline and even have some more fun and exciting guests to join us on the podcast. If you really enjoyed this episode, we would love if you would rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen. We would also love to see you interact with us on social media and on our Patreon page. The links to that are included in the show notes, so check us out there. We would be incredibly honored to get to know you all as you get to know us and our recovery stories. We love you and we'll see you next time.